The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It is Monday evening going into Tuesday morning. I hope you're all having a wonderful day, folks. I hope you're having a wonderful day today, folks. I made my first loaf of bread, believe it or not. I have not made bread before. So my mother, as you know, was here for Thanksgiving, and she makes all kinds of bread, sourdough bread, artisan breads, and she said to me, listen, I'm going to give you a recipe for a very easy bread to make. It's my go-to quick bread when I don't feel like messing around. And so there's two different versions. One is like an hour and a half rise, and one is an 18-hour rise for the dough. So I did the 18-hour rise because she said that that would be the easiest one. And folks, it was amazing. Okay, I made the dough last night, and then I put it in the oven around noon today, and bam, it was done. Nice and crispy on the outside, nice and moist on the inside. It has a little sourdough flavor, even though it's not sourdough bread. And so tonight, I'm going to experiment. She said that you can use cheeses and spices and everything that you fold into the dough so let me think if i could remember folks because this is a nice little recipe if you haven't made bread it's one last thing you have to buy from the grocery store i don't eat a lot of bread okay but uh, once in a while if i'm going to cheat it better be some good crispy bread on the outside nice and soft in the middle so this is three and a half cups of bread flour and what you want to do If you're not going to weigh the flour, you spoon the flour with a spoon out of the bag into the one cup measuring cup. So you get one and a half cups of flour, and then you want to do a half a teaspoon of active dry yeast. You're just going to sprinkle that in there. And then you're going to use about two tablespoons of, you know, sea salt or salt that you use to the the shaker there, two uh, tablespoons of that. And then you want to use one and a half cups of water so what you're going to do first use a fork kind of beat that flour mix it all up with the yeast and the salt then you're going to do one and a half cups of water you want it warm it's going to be about 110 degrees so you can use a little you know turkey thermometer in there make sure it's 110 degrees you pour that in mix it up with a spatula and it's going to look kind of uh Uh, You know, it's it's very loose, okay? Then you're going to cover that with saran wrap in the mixing bowl, and you're just going to leave it out for about 18 hours, all right? Then you're going to take some flour, either all-purpose or the bread flour. You're going to throw that down on your cutting board or whatever, and you're going to take that dough out of there after 18 hours. You're going to turn the oven on 450 degrees. You put the dough down there on the flour, and you're just going to fold it over a couple of times, all right? So you go one, two, three, four. You kind of get it in a nice ball. By this time, it would have it would have risen, okay? So now you're going to just make it kind of into like a ball. If you're going to put in spices or cheese, 
this is where you do it you'd sprinkle it on the dough and then fold it over a couple times so the spices and the cheese go in there now if you put spices and cheese you're going to then take this uh dough ball right you're going to then flip it over and get it into a nice ball more of like a, a circle it doesn't have to be like a, a ball like a basketball more of a circle and you're going to get the flour on the underside right so it's flour on both sides now and you're going to place the whole thing on a piece of parchment paper then you cover it with the saran wrap. Now, if it does not have spices and cheese, what you're going to do is you're going to let that sit for about 30 minutes. If it does have spices and cheese, you're going to leave it for about one to two hours. You're just going to make sure it rises a little bit more. All right, so you got the oven on 450. You take a Dutch oven. Now, today I used a cast iron Dutch oven with an enamel coating. But tonight, I'm going to just use a cast iron uh, Dutch oven with no enamel coating. I actually heard they work better. So you're going to put that in the oven before you turn it on. Then you turn it on to 450 and you let it heat up. And the Dutch oven is going to heat up along with the oven. So now, if you didn't use spices and cheese, your dough will be ready in about 30 minutes. And if you use spices and cheese, you're going to let it sit for about an hour or two. Just make sure it rises again. Then I took off the saran wrap and I scored the bread in a cross, like a an X, and then in between uh, each of the X's, I put like a slash, all right? And then I just used some nice, uh, I actually had flake salt, and I sprinkled some flake salt on the top and a little bit of cracked pepper, and then you pick up the parchment paper and you put that right down inside the Dutch oven, you close it up, and you put it in the oven, for about 30 minutes all right once you're done with the 30 minutes you're going to be very careful you're going to take it out take the top off and then you're going to let it cook in there for about 10 to 20 minutes depending on how dark you want that top to be i went with a nice golden brown a little more than that because i kind of like it crispy and then i use that same turkey thermometer i put it into the bread and you make sure it's between about 190 to uh, 190 to 200 degrees all right once it is you take it out you're going to remove the bread on the parchment paper and then you're going to take the bread and sit it on a wire rack and let it cool. Don't try to cut it until it's cool. Uh, otherwise, it kind of crushes the bread. And it's going to be delicious. Cut into it when it's warm. Put a little bit of butter on there. And you're going to say to yourself, I'm not buying bread from the store anymore. So tonight, I'm going to do a test with some spices and some cheese. I'll let you guys know how that goes, folks. So there you go. Life hack right here at the Dust and Gold Standard. How to make your own bread. If I could do it, folks, anyone can. Now, I love to cook. I cook all types of stuff from gourmet Italian food. I do Asian food. Uh, I do really good steaks, uh, stinky cheese stuff, bison burgers, Salisbury steaks, chicken, pork, pork belly. I cook all kinds of stuff. I'd love to cook. But uh, now I will be adding bread to my uh, personal menu here at the Dustin Gold Standard. Plus, it's so cheap to make, and it's a great bribery item for the neighbors. I got a really cool neighbor in the back, this old redneck guy, uh, Jeff. He's like, hey, how you doing there? It's me, Jeff. Well, he's really cool. Uh, during the spring, he came over with his giant old-fashioned rototiller, rototilled our gardens for us. So I'm going to make some loaves of bread and drop them off to Jeff. And then next door, I've got Josh and his wife and the kids over there, greatest neighbors you could ever have when my uh wife was going through uh, no, actually right after the birth they dropped off this huge tub of homemade chicken soup um 
Josh's grandmother knitted a blanket for William in a camping theme because my wife likes to go camping and hiking. It's really beautiful. So I'm going to make some loaves of bread for them too. So great little bribery items, great barter items right there. Bread, ladies and gentlemen. Next up, I will be breaking the law and distilling my own whiskey off my father-in-law's recipe. Once I get that going, it's going to be a couple of months. I have to buy some equipment. Uh, I'll let you know how that goes, folks, because that's a great barter item if all hell breaks loose. Okay, liquor will be right up there with ammunition and guns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, talking about all hell breaking loose we are in the middle of discussing central bank digital currency the system of total control that the central bankers are working on putting into place of course in cooperation with the technocrats this is how the worldwide technate is going to operate so i'm going to be on this topic for a few shows i hope it is of value to you i know transhumanism and everything is very exciting seeing what elon musk peter Thiel, and the rest of the gang are doing but cbdc is instrumental in being able to launch the full-blown worldwide technate because it is the system of total control and as you know if you've listened to the last couple of episodes 97 and 98 we've been talking about this starting to go through some of the players behind it and i'm going to continue with that over the next few episodes i've been doing a research project back and forth with maria albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on fridays as well as why awake jim he is getting ready to come back on the show hopefully thursday or friday we're going to record another show and then he's going to be on the road for business and he may not be able to record from there but he has three more shows planned right now in our series check out episodes 80 and 88 if you want to hear the first two parts episode 80 is four hours going into depth on the climate hustle and episode 88 is two hours and expands on that folks in the meantime check us out over at pain.tv slash gold you could join there get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the thomas pain podcast and you're also going to get access to a facebook like website and mobile application where you can network with like-minded folks other people that listen to the thomas pain podcast as well as the dust and gold standard people sharing intelligence over there i don't know maybe people are sharing bread recipes or i should at least post the one that i just gave to you folks but check that out also please leave us a five-star review and a comment at apple podcast it really does help us move up the ranks and we need your help folks we're expanding every day but we're really going to try to make a major push in the coming months to grow as we've gotten a lot of feedback and i think the information that we provide here is of value to all of you otherwise you wouldn't be listening and sharing the podcast also if you'd like to leave a donation uh, we are just starting to monetize the show. I am going to try to turn this into a full-time endeavor. I spend about eight hours a day on this now, basically seven days a week. And so I'd like to be able to turn it into my full-time endeavor. So if you'd like to leave a donation, you can do so over at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. All right, let's pick it back up where we were yesterday. I will just refresh your memory. We're over at decrypt.co. 
know i have that up on the screen for the folks on the video side of this podcast that is d-e-c-r-y-p-t dot c-o decrypt.co and the title of this article was u.s banks launch a digital dollar blockchain pilot mainstream financial institutions are working with the federal reserve to test a digital currency platform and as i told you yes i'm not going to review this whole article because we already did but it says while the crypto market is shaken to its core by the failure of ftx which we covered here in episode 94 traditional financial institutions are taking a step into the world of digital currency a group of banking institutions including hbsc mastercard and wells fargo announced on tuesday the launch of a proof of concept digital money platform called the regulated liability network that's rln and we're going to get into that tonight uh in depth ladies and gentlemen we need to go through this you need to understand what rln is in the meantime i just want to make you aware of this as well this is over at bitdegree.org that's b-i-t-d-e-g-r-e-e.org it's up on the screen for the video audience and this is an article bank for international settlements completes its first cbdc pilot and this is from september 2022 so they ran a pilot in September 20, uh, 2022, and this U.S. pilot was going on, uh, launched a couple of weeks ago. So let's just go through the Bank for International Settlements one. I'm going to show you some information that Maria Albanese and I were digging up last night, but tonight we're going to focus on the RLN network being used by the United States pilot, and then that will work us into reviewing the company consensus owned by joseph lubin who was the co-founder of ethereum along with vitalak buterin who was funded by peter thiel to develop ethereum and now the more research that i've been doing ethereum is the backbone for several pilots being launched around the world for central bank digital currency folks the technocrats are coming at us at warp speed and so we need to try to uncover this stuff analyze this stuff dissect it at warp speed so that we understand what's coming when it's coming and how the hell we're going to be able to try to insulate ourselves from it because folks it does not look pretty there is more i mean last night let me just show you up on the screen here this is a doc, my document, just on Google Docs. And Maria and I were doing some digging last night. This is just uh, right here, about 25 to 30 links on articles, PDFs, white papers having to do with all of the CBDC projects being launched around the world. As we showed you last night on the AtlanticCouncil.org website, there are over 100 countries making up over 95% of the world's total GDP who are in research and development stages, some in deployment stages of central bank digital currency. Now, when Wide Awake Jim comes on, he'll explain how difficult it is because they're dealing with all these different countries, different rules, uh, different laws, different regulations, different personalities, different cultures, different infrastructure. But what I see going on with the information that I am finding is that the central bankers are working with partners like Visa, like MasterCard, I found now, 
and others to actually integrate the current financial infrastructure into the dissemination of this CBDC using companies like Consensus as a connective tissue to create a blockchain overlay utilizing the current infrastructure. So they are figuring out how to get this done uh, quickly. How fast it will be, I'm not exactly sure, but I also don't believe that their goal is to have a international CBDC rolled out with cash completely gone. Like that is an end goal. That is not the first goal. This first stage, this is why they're starting to run tests with three or four different countries packed into a test because it has to do with cross-border functionality of the CBDC. So we're going to get into this tonight. I'll show you what Bank for International Settlements is doing, the program and the technology they're running, and then we'll get into the RLN network, which is what they're testing here inside the United States states my name is dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard i'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Payne.tv slash gold. Right here on episode 99, folks, one away from 100. One away from 100. I don't know. Let's see if we can get Maria Albanese on the show for episode 100. I don't know if she'll do it. She's been so busy. She's over there getting her, uh, beating her husband uh, with a whip, making him put up all the uh, Christmas decorations and stuff, folks. That's what she's been doing over there. So I don't know. Let's see if we can get her on because she has so many little bits and pieces that fit into all these mini investigations we've been doing here at the Dust and Gold Standard. And so I'd love to just BS with her for a couple of hours and sort of tie up a bunch of loose ends on investigations that I've been running over here at this show. All right, folks, again, we're at bitdegree.org. Bank for International Settlements completes its first CBDC pilot. This is September 28, 2022. It says, Bank for International Settlements successfully tested real-life cross-border transactions between jurisdictions in Thailand, China, Hong Kong, and the United Arab Emirates. The Bank of International Settlements, BIS, an international financial institution serving as a bank and a forum for national central banks, Uh, for national central banks, has successfully completed its first central bank digital currency pilot. According to the LinkedIn post shared by BIS, the pilot program tested real-life transactions between four jurisdictions, the central banks of Thailand, Hong Kong, China, and the United Arab Emirates. See, they're starting to run these tests now, and you'll if you dig into this yourself, uh, or if you keep listening to this show, you'll see they're running these tests with various countries now and testing the central bank digital currency across borders and such. They're really getting it ready because, as Wide Awake Jim points out, eventually the goal is to have all 100, I think there's 112 countries they really want to link into one uh, world currency. 
It says here, the financial institution noted that the program occurred from August 15th to September 23rd on Embridge Ledger, and that's lowercase m, capital B, R-I-D-G-E, Embridge Ledger, and we're going to take a look at that in a second. It says multiple CBDC, that would be M, lowercase m, CBDC, also known as Embridge, is a platform created as a part of a distributed ledger technology, a DLT, for the CBDC cross-border payment project, Infanon Lion Rock. So that's I-N-T-H-A-N-O-N hyphen capital L-I-O-N capital R-O-C-K. Inthanon Lion Rock. The project was introduced by Thailand's and Hong Kong central banks in September 2019. During the program, 20 commercial banks used Embridge Ledger to settle various payments for corporate customers focusing on cross-border trades. According to the BIS, over $12 million worth of value was issued on the platform resulting in more than 160 cross-border payments and foreign exchange FX transactions. It is estimated that the pilot program generated over $22 million in value. All right, so again, they're running these tests. They're gearing this stuff up, folks. It says, following the announcement, BIS advisor and solutions architect Daniel Eden used LinkedIn to share his take on the pilot. The advisor noted that, among other things, the pilot program focused on CBDC cross-border payments and the role central banks play in these payments. However, Eden added, quote, we will likely consider more commercial aspects in the future stages of our work, end quote. In October, Bank for International Settlements expects to publish the progress report overviewing the technical design, legal, and other regulatory conditions, as well as the future of Embridge. The institution highlighted that those who want to hear about the project directly from Embridge core team are invited to come to Hong Kong FinTech Week from October 31st to November 4th. And we have those videos, I believe, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, dug those up for us. I have not had a chance to review them yet. It says the uh, Bank for International Settlements report published in June revealed that around 90% of central banks worldwide are adopting CBDC. Based on the information shared by Atlantic Council, 11 CBDCs were launched, 15 are in the pilot stage, and 26 are still developing. And that's the interactive map that we actually shared with you last night. So let me just show you here, folks, because you just have to understand that this stuff is out there. Right here, this is Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub, uh, Hong Kong SAR Center, and this is Inthanon Lion Rock to Embridge, building a multi-CBDC platform for international payments. And this was written in September 2021. And I just want to show you, this is a 72-page uh, PDF. 72 pages, folks. 
It says right here, abstract. This report sets out the takeaways of Project Inthanon Lion Rock Phase 2 and introduces the scope of the third phase. Phase 2 achieved a prototype that enables three participating central banks to control the flow of their CBDC and to monitor transactions and balances of their issued CBDC with programmable levels of transaction privacy and aspects of automated compliance. And uh, let me just make a note because I want to explain something to you. We talked about programmable uh, yesterday. We're going to get into more detail on that, but I want to just tell you something about that as well. It says the prototype demonstrates a substantial increase in cross-border transfer speed from days to seconds, as well as the potential to reduce several of the core cost components of correspondent banking. It thereby demonstrates the potential of faster and lower-cost cross-border transfers for participating jurisdictions. The benefits would be further increased for jurisdictions that do not benefit from a vibrant correspondent banking network. With the joining of Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub Hong Kong Center, the Digital Currency Institute of the People's Bank of China, and the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates, the project has evolved into Phase 3. And to this effect has been renamed MCBDC Bridge Project, or in short, MBridge. Phase three involves further experimentation with design choices and technology trade-offs and a future roadmap from prototype to a production-ready network that can serve the broader central banking community as a public good through open sourcing. To achieve this collaboration with the public and private sector will continue and trials will be conducted in a safe environment. So, again, this is a 72-page report that was published in September 2021 on this Embridge project. Uh, here is a quote from Aug- uh, Augustin Karstens, general manager of the Bank for International Settlements. He said, money is one of humanity's greatest inventions. It enables you to specialize in one profession instead of having to do everything by yourself or go through all the fuss of bartering goods. It brings the best out of every individual according to individual capabilities. Money is, so to speak, the oil that makes the machinery work. Well, you know, some would argue with that. Maybe if you knew how to do a little bit of everything, you could live on a homestead, uh, grow your own food, go hunting, and you don't really have to interact with these people in the crazy matrix. Instead, you do specialize in one thing. You go to work, you make money, you bring those food coupons home, and you use them to buy the food that you would have been growing or hunting yourself. The problem is, in the false industrial revolution, according to Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher to Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum and the author of the 2016 book, The Force Industrial Revolution, is that because we're reaching a point in which technology is growing exponentially, the thing, the profession that you have, that you specialize in, may be here today, but may be gone 
tomorrow, folks. Maybe gone tomorrow. Okay, folks, I want to show you this because it's very important and this makes my point. I'm on page three of this document, Inthanon Lion Rock to Embridge, BIS Innovation Hub. And here we go on page three. It says phase two prototype built in collaboration with consensus. Ah, who's consensus? I told you they're going to play a big part in this. That is Joseph Lubin. Joseph Lubin, former partner of Vitalak Buterin, who was the co-founder of Ethereum, funded by Peter Thiel to continue building Ethereum, launched Ethereum in 2015. And then Joseph Lubin breaks off and forms consensus, which I told you is working with major players like Visa, MasterCard, and others, and at the same time is working in cooperation with central banks. So phase two prototype was built in collaboration with consensus, uh, PWC, and then Form S. And it says on open source enterprise Ethereum, right? So BIS builds their prototype sitting on top of ethereum which i told you is instrumental in all of this ladies and gentlemen i hope you understand that now let's just look at the contents quick i'm not going to go through this entire document i just want to show you briefly what's going on they have the executive summary they have central bank journeys the bis innovation hub hong kong monetary authority bank of thailand digital currency institute of the people's bank of china central bank of the united arab emirates uh you go to the project overview or the background vision goals and objectives uh objectives functional scope cbdc operations foreign exchange execution models accessibility but there's many more things you go down here Inthanon line rock phase two they have the operating model the technical solution the operational considerations then you get into embridge phase three the governance of this steering committee technology subcommittee much more stuff here their roadmap you have conclusion and next steps and then they have annex one terminology annex two fx quote flow charts and x3 project participants and so in here you have bank for international settlements innovation of hong kong monetary authority bank of thailand digital currency institute of the people's bank of china central bank of the united arab emirates and then vendors so again this is all very real ladies and gentlemen all very real it is here there are white papers floating around everywhere i'm talking hundreds if not thousands upon thousands of pages on all of these different test pilots going on so central bank digital currency is coming we're going to figure out when exactly it's going to be here in what phases and this way we can start to make decisions in our personal lives about how we are going to try to evade this system work around this system or agree to play in the system but at least understand how the system works so that we can still try to thrive and not just survive inside of the matrix ladies and gentlemen i'm going to step outside of the matrix for a moment and take a quick break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ugh. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks. Let me take a look at this quickly. All right, because this is uh, quite important, folks. So we're still on this document. We're looking at the executive summary. It says right here, with the signing by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, that's HKMA, and the Bank of Thailand, BOT, of a joint memorandum of understanding, the MOU, in May 2019, Project Inthanon Lion Rock embarked on the first common platform for multiple CBDC settlement, corresponding to a Bank for International Settlements Model 3 arrangement based on a single multi-currency system. Project Inthanon Lion Rock Phase 1 achieved a proof of concept, the POC, single platform built by R3 on Corda. Now, that's very important. R3 on Corda is going to come back up. R3 on Corda. I'm just writing that down. C-O-R-D-A. That's going to come back up because they're involved with the test pilot going on in the United States right now, folks. I found that information, and I will show it to you. So this proof of concept single platform built by R3 on Corda, designed to allow the participants of each network to conduct fund transfers and foreign exchange transactions on a peer-to-peer basis, thus reducing settlement layers. The platform also aimed to enhance banks, foreign currency liquidity management by adopting a multiple currency liquidity saving mechanism and incorporated streamlined compliance with local regulations. The findings of phase one were published in January 2020. Now again, folks, I'm not going to go through all of this on today's show because it is 72 pages and I have not had a chance to review the entire document yet. I like to do that so that I know what I'm talking about, but I'm flipping through this right now for the video audience so they can see how lengthy this document is i mean look right here folks project overview background they've got all these uh, charts these graphs these uh, models that are built here how the money flow works how the whole system works they've got these graph charts i mean all types of stuff included inside here and i'm sure we could find all types of wonderful crumbs uh, inside of this document, folks. So again, this is to show you that Bank for International Settlements is running these cross-border pilots. You have consensus involved. You have Ethereum involved. And we know that this R3 on Corda is involved. All right, let me just throw this in here. Quick side note before we get into the U.S. pilot program, which is what I'm going to focus on today. And then tomorrow we're going to get into consensus and what they're actually doing before we move forward into the panel discussions from the World Economic Forum, International Monetary Fund, United Nations, uh, and uh, Bank for International Settlements, because we're going to get into all of that stuff. By the end of this mini-series here on CBDC, I think you're going to have a solid understanding of how this whole thing works, sort of understand the technology from a layman's perspective 
perspective. I mean, we're obviously not going to become experts in this. There are engineers working on this that don't even know how the hell the whole system works. That's the point. But you're going to have an understanding, and hopefully we'll be able to figure out when we can start to see a major push for this uh, right here in the United States so that you can figure out how you want to move your money around and maybe try to insulate it. Maybe it's time to take some of that cash you're sitting on and go buy a piece of property. Or maybe it's time to go buy 6,000 cases of bottled water and store them in your garage. I don't know. There's probably better things you could be doing than just sitting there hoping this isn't going to happen. Look, when COVID land, the high school theater production kicked off, these guys told us we were in our new normal. Not only that, every time you walked into the grocery store, uh, most people heard these creepy recordings. I mean, I was shopping in and out of Publix, which is a about a 1,200-store chain based out of Florida. Really nice store, really clean and everything. Actually, my uh, ex-stepson worked at Publix in high school, and I would go in there during COVID land, and they would have this creepy recording playing over the loudspeaker. It sounded like Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. And it'd be like, welcome to Publix. Please walk on the dotted lines. Please only walk up and down the aisles based on the direction arrows. When you get to the register, please stand behind the plexiglass sneeze guards ladies and gentlemen Publix will help you welcoming you into your new normal yeah so it's the new normal it's the great reset it's the build back better it's the false industrial revolution that's what we're in this is the merger of the physical biological and digital this particular thing the CBDC will merge the physical world with the digital world so it's here we just want to understand when it's actually going to be rolled out so we can try to work around it all right let me mention this to you we talked about the programmable currency and so i was doing a bunch of research on this all right now what they're talking about internally uh this term programmable can be used uh, in sort of a very broad uh, spectrum. So it's programmable in the sense that this money uh, works on the wholesale side. So on the wholesale side, we'll go into depth on this as well, but on the wholesale side, this is basically transfers of money between major banking institutions. And then on the retail side, you're going to have the commercial banks all the way down to us, the uh, consumers, and then all of the merchants, the stores. And so they can program program this currency for a variety of reasons one of which as we talked about yesterday the most dangerous for you and i is that when they send you the money the money could be marked for programmed for only being able to spend it in certain stores you know with certain merchants on certain items it could prevent you from traveling to certain places uh, how long you could travel based on how much fuel it lets you buy so it will be programmed down to that level and also what happens that's a little bit different than the current monetary system let's say in your checking account or your savings account let's just say your checking account let's say every week you have your uh, paycheck be direct deposited into your checking account all right let's just say that's twelve hundred dollars say twelve hundred dollars every week 
every Friday goes into your checking account. And let's say you run a little, I don't know, an eBay business or a Facebook marketplace business or you sell firewood or something on the side. So let's say you've got another $400 a week coming in via Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. You take money that way and then it goes into your checking account. So every week now you have $1,600 going into your checking account. Some came from firewood sales from Venmo, some came from your Etsy store, uh, that type of thing. So you've got money coming from different places. And then, I don't know, you went out and bought groceries, you split it with your wife, she sends you 75 bucks on Venmo, you move that in your account. Well, here's the thing. When all that money's sitting in your account, so say now you have a floating, um, you know, average about $3,000 sitting in your checking account at any given time because you're using that to pay bills, buy groceries or whatever. Well, that's just like a lump sum. It's not tracked. Uh, when you get that money and you actually spend that money, it's not saying like that $5 you just spent on, I don't know, uh, a candy bar came out of the money that was wired to you from Venmo from the sale of the firewood, right? It's not marked that way. Well, in this programmable model, it actually can be marked that way. So if you have CBDC that's transferred to you from, let's say, the government for your Social Security money, so say you get $1,000 a month for Social Security, that CBDC shows up in your bank account, right? And then let's say you get, I don't know, $300 a month from some uh, annuity that you have in the form of CBDC, and that goes into your checking account. And then at this point, your wife wires you 75 CBDC tokens for half the groceries you spent. Well, all of this money going into your wallet, your government Uncle Sam crypto CBDC wallet, uh, let's say there's a balance of 3,000 CBDC crypto tokens sitting there in your wallet. All of those tokens are actually marked and tracked. So now when you go to spend, all right, dollars out of your current checking account, you can spend that on whatever you want. Well, in this case, there may be 3,000 CBDC tokens sitting in your government crypto wallet, right? Uh, a thousand of which was social security 75 from your wife 500 from your etsy account well each of those actually could be programmed in different ways so you might be able to buy a candy bar with the cbdc that your ma uh, wife sent you but not with the cbdc that the government sent you and at the same time all the spending is being tracked onto this digital ledger. Everything you're buying is tracked and all of the individual CBDC tokens are tagged. They're all traced. So imagine going into a grocery store with $1,000 cash in your pocket. Let's say $1,001 bills. And all those, the, the, the total of those came from 20 different sources. Let's say there's $50 from 20 different sources. Imagine going up to the register and pulling out your money and trying to buy a candy bar for $5. And the cashier says, I'm sorry, we can't take that. That's from your social security money. And then you have to sit there and keep flipping through until you get to the money you're 
allowed to use to buy candy bars now i mean that is how detailed this system goes that's the programmable the trackable element of central bank digital currency so the coins themselves each one individually has a life of its own folks does that not sound orwellian to you is this not dystopian but the issue is that it is coming all right in my mind short of the satellites blowing up that connects everything or the internet shutting down or the electricity grid being blown up short of any of that happening this is inevitable i mean you see the documents i'm going to show you these white papers i'm going to show you what's actually happening right now is anyone fighting back against it i mean short of you and i or me exposing it telling you you're telling your friends we're not really fighting against it so i hate to sound dark but it sounds inevitable to me so i'd at least like to read the instruction manual 99.999 percent of people won't do that at least we're going to have a song understanding of how this stuff works what the rules of the system are i want to know because if i have to end up being inside this system the more i understand this system the more i'll be able to do black market bartering or trading outside that system but if i don't understand this system there's no way i'm going to be able to work on the outside of it folks that's why we are going into depth on this this should not be boring to you this should this is think of it like this you're going on vacation to another country or you're going over to another country to work on a consulting contract do you not want to understand the laws of that country so that when you get there you don't find yourself locked up in a prison cell for jaywalking because you didn't know that they had a law that puts you in prison for nine years for jaywalking or like that kid when i was growing up they caned him i forgot what country that was because he spray painted a car he was brought out in the public square and caned well we are moving into a new system we are under the technocracy with just the mere illusion of a constitutional republic and if this is the system we are moving into then i damn well want to understand the rule book all right i want to understand that so this way i don't get myself into trouble and i could figure out how to skirt the system ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, we are learning how to navigate the matrix. I am giving you the keys to the matrix, ladies and gentlemen. Look, I'm not looking forward to this, folks. Uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. I think this is horrible. 
But uh, it's quite interesting to figure out how this whole thing is going to work. And I know personally, uh, putting my head in the sand and pretending this does not exist is not the answer. It is not the solution. Uh, Figuring out what's coming and figuring out how to be able to navigate it and to be able to avoid it when possible, to me, is the smart thing to do. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm preparing for the worst. And I think it is my duty with my skill set to be able to uh, analyze this type of information and explain it to you in layman's terms. It's my duty to put my skill set to work uh, for the good of humanity. Uh, At the end of the day, I am on the side of humanity, and this is a war on humanity. They are driving us into a complete and total slave state, and many people are probably going to be turned into weirdo cyborgs with brain chips in their heads. We've talked about that extensively on the Dust and Gold Standard. But for now, uh, we just have to understand what's coming and try to figure out when it's going to be here and start to prepare uh, for this coming digital plantation that we're being moved into all right folks it says right here again i'm just going to refresh you before we move into the rln network this is the article i just had up from decrypt.co u.s banks launch a digital dollar blockchain pilot so we know bank for international settlements is running their pilots now the u.s is currently running a pilot this article is from two weeks ago november 16th and just uh refresher real quick here a group of banking institutions including hbsc mastercard and wells fargo announced on tuesday the launch of a proof of proof of concept digital money platform called the regulated liability network that's rln and so this is what we're going to be looking at uh right now ladies and gentlemen so I am over at blog.digitalasset.com. And this is an article called The Regulated Liability Network, a Critical Step in the Evolution of CBDC. And this is very important uh, because we're going to go through what the United States is doing right now. I think I should be able to wrap this up today so tomorrow we can get into consensus which we now know is involved with the test that the bank for international settlements just ran and again consensus is important because it links back to peter thiel and peter thiel is someone we've covered here extensively the guy is a major government contractor takes money from the cia all these other government departments his software uh palantir as well as many of his other softwares are embedded into almost every government agency he does military contracting he is a devout transhumanist has funded the singularity movement going back to 2006 that is the merger of man and machine he is involved with technocracy covid tracking everything else this guy said straight up that christianity and transhumanism are basically the same thing because they both offer eternal life so you know where he is coming from he has said that singularity the merger of man and machine will either bring a boom of investment opportunities or a boom that ends the world so you know who peter thiel is and when i find him behind the curtain i have to expose these projects i think he's one of the most dangerous government oligarchs around today all right it says right here this article was written by darko 
Pilav, and it said, editors note, Darko Pilav is Digital Assets Director of CBDC and Payments Technology. So I'm going to start with this article because there's some more in-depth stuff on this uh, RLN network that we're going to get into, but I think this explains it uh, in closest to layman's terms as possible. So we're going to start here. It says central bank digital currency is entering a new stage of maturity with the majority of central banks exploring and testing its potential. Major global institutions, including the Bank of International Settlements and the International Monetary Fund, as well as agencies of the United Nations, have dedicated teams researching solutions to achieve faster, cheaper, and more transparent forms of payment and currency. It's all because they love you, ladies and gentlemen. The bankers love you. But with exception of... Uh, But with exception of that of China, central banks will have a number of choices to make concerning CBDC design and technology, as well as policy and legal questions to resolve before they make digital currency available to users. While there are many more steps to take on the journey to CBDC, the conversation is expanding and now includes substantive industry discussion in the regulated private sector. It says, what is the regulated liability network? All right, this is important because this is what the United States is running right now. It says, in parallel with the evaluation of CBDC by various central banks, a number of commercial banks and payment service providers have proposed a regulated liability network called an RLN that could capture and catalyze some of the promises of digital currency today using current rules, regulations, and arrangements. This plan leverages existing public sector arrangements for regulated payment networks in place between central and commercial banks but it improves on these arrangements to capture some of the key attributes of cbdc it all sounds so fun folks this is what happens when you're living inside of a technocracy instead of us trading seashells back and forth we have to live inside of this technocratic monetary system they're building as if it was not complex enough. It says the RLN founders recognize that mainstream financial institutions all operate on clear but distinct rule books. There are rules for central banks, other rules for commercial banks, and still others for payment processors. The liabilities of these institutions reflect the varying risk factors. As a liability of a central bank, cash carries almost no risk. Similarly, cash-based transactions are also riskless. When a consumer pays for a product with cash, the transaction is immediate and final, right? So when you walk into the grocery store with a pocket full of fiat paper money and you pay that grocery store, $112.42 with a $100 bill, a $10 bill, two single dollar bills, a dime and two pennies, the deal is done, right? You walk out the door, it's done. They don't have to worry about the money coming in from your debit card or the money coming in from your credit card, not balancing cash. It is done, right? Done deal. 
It says commercial banks must manage a variety of risk factors, including the liability associated with bank deposits and the need to hold reserves against them. Regulatory compliance, including KYC, that's know your customer requirements, and the need to remain competitive with related banking services. Traditional banking payments and transfers are not as riskless or as quick as cash or emerging peer-to-peer payment and transfer structures. E-money transactions still rely on traditional bank payment rails, and international transactions take several days to be final as credit risk is checked and regulatory compliance is before uh, is performed. So what they're doing here is they're going to make the case for central bank digital currency because it's a digital form of cash. That's what they're saying. That's what they're going to promote this as. It says, as proposed by the team behind the initiative, the RLN could play a major role in de-risking and accelerating commercial bank payments. Citi's concept paper demonstrates how RLN would connect the liabilities of all mainstream finance players involved in transactions. One of the most important elements of this plan is that it does not require new rules or functionality for any of the actors in the payment process. The legal certainty around the payment system and liabilities is maintained. Only the technology changes, but that does change many aspects. All right, I hope you are grasping this, folks, because this is the new monetary system we are quickly moving into. It says, with central banks, commercial banks, and payment processors all sharing a technology framework to conduct business, the time to finalize transactions and the risk factors involved in payments could be significantly minimized. Quote, to further increase the system's efficiency, all financial claims, including claims on volatility, will be in book entry form, and ownership of all these claims will be transferable instantly anywhere around the globe via 24-hour multi-currency payment systems. Settlement risk will be eliminated, and with it a major bottleneck to transaction flows. This has enormous implications for releasing capital and lowering transaction costs. End quote. This is Charles Sanford in 1994. It says right here, the current state of the regulated liability network, the RLN effectively replicates the existing two-tiered banking system with the creation of a network that supports a common way to represent the liabilities of different regulated institutions. So we have a little chart here. It says commercial banks leverage their balance sheet to issue commercial bank money on the RLN. Uh, Number two is the digital representations of these funds are managed by the issuing entity, meaning the central bank manages its liabilities in central bank money, and each commercial bank manages the commercial bank money they have issued. And number three, the different issuances of commercial bank money are fungible, making transfers between the banks straightforward. To achieve this, every business ledger would need to be updated. Those of the originating bank, the central bank, and the recipient bank. It's the different ledgers are interoperable. 
the updates can be linked and synchronized into one transaction all right so what we're doing here is we're just going through what this rln is and why this is important and why i'm going to spend the time on this folks is because this is what they are actually testing right now okay this is what 12 of those major financial institutions are testing as we speak and we're going to see in a moment this company r3 on corda which is involved with the bank for international settlements test a few months ago is actually also involved with this rln test that's going on and so i want to go through the various uh, uh documents and players behind rln i'm not going to go super deep we're just going to spend a couple of seconds on this so that you have an understanding of what they're actually doing here in the United States. So when people tell you this isn't coming or this is crazy, digital money, that's so fake. You know, for years there were people warning about this and there were the detractors that would say, you're crazy. This isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Well, it is happening. All right. It is happening. It is happening now. And all the major players are on board. All hands are on deck. Ladies and gentlemen, my hands are off deck. I'm going on break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Ping.tv slash gold. All right, folks, we are back here at blog.digitalasset.com. Let's try to breeze through this so I can get into these other very important documents with you as we break down the RLN network. So it says here, implementing the RLN requires the ability to create and manage workflows across multiple organizations with clearly defined roles and permissions and the necessary supervisory oversight. Smart contract functionality would establish and enforce rules with rights that can be set at a granular level. Now, we went over briefly these smart contracts the other day, and this is why sometimes I stop and I explain that to you. We'll do a little more detail on that as well. These are all the major components that go into uh, creating all this stuff, this whole system that we are being driven into. Goes on to say, and with the right underlying technology, smart contract driven transactions can extend across organizations and incorporate additional asset classes while delivering significant benefits, including one, ensuring the entire transaction completes if and only if every leg of the transaction is successful. This creates a streamlined, efficient settlement process that provides surety and completely eliminates counterparty risk. Number two, preserving privacy, even in transactions that span multiple platforms by restricting access to transaction data and status on need-to-know basis. Number three, providing extensibility to allow different organizations to participate and facilitate the development of new use cases that leverage the tokenized assets beyond the proposed levels of API integration. Folks, does, does this sound... Uh, complicated to you this is just so that you can go in the store and buy a loaf of bread i mean really 
99% of us interact at that level. All right, you get your money from your boss, and you go to the store, and you buy a loaf of bread. Well, guess what? Now, this is the system that you are going to live under. Also, these guys can have programmable money and be able to control what it is that you can buy and you can sell from our level all the way up to the manufacturer level. It says, to achieve these benefits, the underlying technology will need to be both interoperable and extensible, enabling a network of networks, a network of networks that only support today's requirements, but also is flexible enough to accommodate opportunities and connect participants that are yet to be identified. Finally, while the RLN can drive important uh, efficiencies and support industry innovation, the tokenized assets created will be commercial bank liabilities, leaving the owner to face the same depository risk that exists today. The introduction of central bank-issued CBDC in combination with the RLN would create a, quote, best of both worlds, end quote, scenario. As a liability of a central bank, CBDC would remove that depository risk. Ultimately, the parallel existence of the RLN and CBDC would give consumers greater transparency into the risk exposure of their assets, whether held by a central bank or as part of the RLN. Now, if that does not sound confusing to you, folks, all right, then you must be one of the people helping build this system. Now, this document goes further into a path to implementation It goes into the Regulated Liability Network and CBDC, which I'm going to read you. Now, we're going to skip the path to implementation now because there's some other documents that we are going to look at. But let's just take a look at the Regulated Liability Network and CBDC. It says, in summary, there are substantive attainable benefits to the Regulated Liability Network in both the short and medium terms. Since the liabilities in question are based on the existing legal framework, the creation of new assets is not required. Furthermore, the RLN addresses the problem of shrinking balance sheets for commercial banks, which hinders their ability to extend loans. And we'll get into that with Wide Awake Jim. Finally, the usage of new technology for RLN's underlying infrastructure allows for future capabilities like programmable money, increased transparency, and instant cross-organization and cross-border settlements. With a DAML-based implementation, the use of liabilities on the RLN can even be extended to improve the efficiency of other types of transactions, for example, the cash leg of a securities transaction, while providing uh, atomicity and privacy guarantees. All right. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at this document here. And this is on the website r3.com. This is r like Robert, numerical3.com. Remember, when we were looking into the Bank for International Settlements, one of the partners was r 3 on Corda. And this is what we're going to look at here, folks, because this R3 on Corda, this is the regulated liability network on Corda. And it says here 
in this document written in January 2022. The ideas around CBDC design and architecture have developed rapidly over the past two years. The typical CBDC project is initiated by one or several central banks as they work their way through the design choices. One tool in this journey has been the R3 sandbox for digital currencies, which allows participants to experience the outcomes of different design choices. By contrast, the regulated uh, regulated liability network, the RLN, concept emerged from the regulated private sector in the summer of 2021. The team behind the initiative includes Citi, OCBC, Goldman Sachs, Bond Value, Bank of America, Bank of New York, Payoneer, PayPal, Wells Fargo, Settle, and Linklaters. And Settle is S-E-T-L. We're going to take a look at a document that they published uh, momentarily. All right, so this is who you have involved here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven companies, right, that are building this RLN. And so they come up with this regulated private sector uh, merger here, sort of this merger, this little group in 2021, right, summer of 2021. And now, a year later, they're already testing it. Right now, they're testing it. That goes to show you how quickly they are moving with this. It says RLN tokens, issuance, and payments. The proposal is that regulated institutions, including central banks, commercial banks, and e-money providers tokenize their liabilities. These liabilities have one common characteristic. They are promises to pay the customer on demand at par value in national currency units. This characteristic means that the token would work with rather than replace existing legal instruments. RLN tokens are simply novel representations of existing deposits. We go into more detail about this design proposal below. It says, the objective of this short piece is to consider how RLN tokens would work with the structure of the R3 sandbox for digital currencies. We first described the proposed technical architecture of the RLN along with where it sits within the existing sandbox. We then look into the specifics of how issuance and payment operations would work were RLN tokens to be issued in a CORDA environment. All right, so then they go into this RLN architecture, which we will look at a little bit in a moment. We're going to go down here to figure one, okay? And this is issuers and their activities in an RLN core to framework. And sitting up at the top, you have a bubble, which is central bank liability sub-network. And you have issue, transfer, redeem. Below that are three bubbles. Commercial bank one liability sub-network, commercial bank two liability sub-network, and then e-money liabilities sub-network. And underneath those, you have issue, burn, transfer, right? So this is what I'm talking about. This stuff is very, very detailed, folks. And I'm not going to go through all of it because it's just too technical. Even the last you know, couple of segments here, it's getting to be too technical for you or I to really understand and grasp. We'd have to bring an expert on here to break this down. I just want to show you 
that this system is being built like this is very real there's thousands of pages and hundreds of companies working on this it goes into number two which is diversified token issuance right so this gets into um how these tokens are issued number three independent payment operations this is actually quite interesting so we will go through this momentarily then they have a figure which is uh, RTGS today versus with RLN, and it's basically the structure of how this money flows around. Number four, you have steps to building a new FMI. And then uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go from this document over to the Regulated Liability Network white paper on scalability and performance. And this is scaling RLN to 1 million TPS. And this is powered by Amazon Web Services. Amazon houses a lot of the CIA data. Okay, they have contracts with the United States government. So the company housing CIA data is also going to be helping run this new monetary system let's just go back here to the r3.com article number two diversified token issuance it says the first shift in the typical cbdc model is that a greater variety of issuers will exist in the current r3 sandbox for digital currencies tokens are issued by central banks this is a common way to model both wholesale and retail cbdc in contrast rln tokens are issued by a variety of regulated institutions these include not only central banks but also commercial banks e-money users uh, e-money issuers sorry this could be extended one step further to stable coin issuers once if they achieve the status of regulated liabilities rln diversifies the number of issues because it contains both central bank money like a normal cbdc and commercial bank money and e-money from regulated non-banks right so what they're doing now is they will have the CBDC currency that comes out of the central banks, and then they also want to be able to have these commercial banks and these regulated non-banks and possibly the stablecoin players that we got into the other day to be able to issue their own uh, tokens as well onto the system, their own form of currency. It says the reason that multiple issuers uh, is feasible in the existing sandbox framework is because the proposed RLN incorporates multiple uh, partitions, one for each regulated participant. Partitioning and programming refers to a logical division of a larger data set. In the same way, each RLN partition belongs to a different regulated entity, all of whom contribute to the global population of regulated liabilities. The liabilities of each participant are recorded in their partition, which is their own territory, as if they were recording liabilities on their own proprietary systems. RLN then makes these liabilities fungible across the network through settlement in central bank money. That is, the central bank partition serves to settle most liabilities in central bank tokens. Again, so the central bank now sits at the top, and it's going to settle most of these liabilities with central bank tokens with CBDC. CBDC. Wow. This is getting to be quite confusing. Are you understanding this? I mean, this is obvious. This is honestly the system that we're being driven into again they are testing this right now right here in the united states we know that the bank for international settlements just tested their cross-border solution in cooperation with consensus building this on top of ethereum 
Folks, it is coming. The technocrats are moving at warp speed. Let's try to further dissect this when I get back. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Central Bank. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, is this not crazy, though? I mean, for anyone who tells you that this is some sort of a joke or some sort of a conspiracy theory that cbdc is not coming of course over the last i'd say 12 to 24 months you've heard the talking heads on television some of the talk radio hosts out there start talking about this even though others have been mentioning this for probably 10 or 15 years they're talking about it now because and i'm going to be honest with you and maria albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on fridays would agree they're talking about it because it's too late they're always allowed to talk about these things when it's too late. You start to notice talking heads on TV saying that the mRNA is uh, passing from a mother's breast milk if she's vaccinated down through her breast milk to her child. Well, people like Mike Moore at the Thomas Paine Podcast, people like myself, Maria Albanese, we've been talking about that for over two years. We were called conspiracy theorists, kooks. Some people were banned off platforms. Monetization was turned off. But now, Tucker Carlson on Fox News can talk about it. Why? Because it's too late. It's too late. The mainstream people will start attacking Anthony Fauci now. Why? He retired with his pension. Because it's too late. And so... Now they're starting to talk about CBDC, the fact that it's coming, the Fed goes out there and they admit it, Jerome Powell admits it, and they're talking about it openly because it is too late. And so we're going through this stuff now because we want to figure out exactly when it is coming so that we can try to best avoid it or figure out how we're going to work around it or live one foot in the system, one foot out of the system. But they're all talking about it because it's too late. It's too late. Once it gets out into the mainstream, it means that they were allowed to talk about it. Uh, but they'll never go into depth on this. They still talk about it as if it is something being discussed discussed there's got to be based on the stuff that wide awake jim found and maria albanese found and i found and then other people that wide awake jim listens to i don't there's got to be hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people if not millions of people working on this i mean there could be three crazy people there could be a rockefeller a rothschild and a pick your own illuminati sitting in a room who are making the decisions at the top of the food chain but beneath them you have major uh financial institutions you have banks you have uh central banks and everything else that are implementing this and then you have all these technology companies and then you have city and bank of america that have all their own technologists inside there all to build this system for what 
For what? All the gobbledygook stuff I just read to you over the last two segments? No. It comes down to a system of total control, programmable money, that implements the 1920s technocracy plan of being able to have systematic control over the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. That's what this system is. That's what this system is. You talk about having a new world order government. I mean, how do you think this system is going to be managed? There's going to be nerds. There's going to be H-1B visa Indians sitting at little cubicles who are in real time checking transactions. No, this is going to be run off of artificial intelligence and algorithms. And it is going to limit your ability to buy and sell. It's going to limit where and when you can drive to certain locations. It's going to limit what you can own and what you have to rent. This is a total, complete digital slave system. And this will be the monetary system inside of the coming metaverse of which we've talked about extensively here on the dust and gold standard as well as on the outside in the physical world slave system that they are building all around us that we help them build when we install our amazon ring cameras when which they're using for facial recognition uh when we don't stop our local towns from putting up camera speed traps at every stoplight now we're helping build the system this is why elon musk is willing to go out on joe rogan show and say we are nodes in the system in every interaction we have with technology we are helping them build this ai hive mind helping them build this ai slave system so this is all very real that's what i always say it's all very real it's not fantasy now when i take this information and I try to boil it down into one or two sentences and try to explain it to someone like my father. You know, he says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to I'll pull out my uh, gun. You know, if I pull up to the gas station and they won't let me pump gas because my Social Security CBDC doesn't work, I'll pull out my gun. I said, OK, you're going to pull out your gun on who? The automated AI robot teller, there won't be anybody there to stick up. The whole system is going to be run by these robots. I mean, yes, the humans that are left in this system are going to be able to possibly move around for a while. But when you pull up to the gas station and it doesn't let you pump gas because your CBDC says you're not allowed to put a full tank of gas in, it's going to be a robot. It's going to be artificial intelligence. There will be no one at the pump. I mean, right now, uh, short of the gas station's wanting to have a cashier inside the gas station to be able to stock the shelves with junk food and to be able to sell that to you they don't need anyone at the pumps you pull up to the pump and you use your card to pump your gas and we've seen across the united states they're already rolling out gas stations where there are no attendants everything runs like a vending machine so this is what's happening now again to me at least to me my opinion is it is inevitable the question is 
when is it coming what stages uh is this thing going to be rolled out in uh who's going to get hammered with this first as soon as you see them do this with the social security folks the welfare folks the food stamps the ebd cards uh disability all that kind of stuff as soon as you see that happen then they are basically i would say closing in within one or two years of rolling it out for the entire country and then the next step in this is to be able to completely remove other forms of payment so they'll want to be able uh, to get rid of cash cash would be the big one and so they can orchestrate that through another pandemic and just say you know cash is dirty Now, you can say, I'm keeping my cash. Well, the stores, all the merchants from the big stores controlled by BlackRock down to the mom and pops, you know, they will just stop using cash right away if they're told to, just like they were told to make people wear masks in the grocery store. And then you may be sitting on cash at home. Like, let's say you squirreled away five, ten thousand $10,000 in cash, or you've got a safe in your house, I don't know, with $100,000 in cash. Well, if they come out, And they just say, you know, money's dirty and they run it like a gun buyback program. And they say, bring your cash down here. We are going to give you, let's say, uh, $1.25 of CBDC for every $1 of paper money you turn in. And you say, okay, I don't care. I'm not going to do that. And then they say, but by next Wednesday, if you don't do that, the cash is worth zero zero so now there will be no merchant that is going to accept that cash as soon as the government announces on television that it is worth zero so no merchant is going to take it anymore and then what are you going to use it to pay your friend for a knitted hat they made you and you go hey here's ten dollars of cash they're going to sit there it's like handing them some uh paper or you know you know some seashell that was traded back in 1519 and you go no this is a seashell from 1519 short of them wanting a collector's item uh to put on their shelf or to sell on facebook marketplace which probably won't exist at this point uh the cash is going to be worthless that's how fast they can take the cash out of circulation so the question that i'm trying to answer for myself is when is this coming into effect what's going to be the first stage once we see the first stage unrolled on a mass scale like with social security then at what point is this system going to be rolled in uh, as the permanent system when are you going to be paid through venmo and cash app or your boss uh your business you work for uh when is that all going to switch to cbdc and then are they going to have the programmable elements in place on day one am i only going to be able to buy crickets at the grocery store am i no longer going to be able to transact with the organic farmers and butchers that i work with i want to know when this is happening i hope you do too i mean I want to know when it's happening so that I can make my moves. You know, I need to be able to have something to trade. So if I talk to Farmer Carol and she is going to be accepting CBDC 
because right now she accepts credit cards through Square, basically, like everybody does. But if I go to her farm and I want to get a box of tomatoes that I would normally give her $5 for, let's say she's very generous, she'll give me eight, nine plump organic tomatoes for $5. I would normally give her cash, right? Some people would give her a debit or credit card. She'll accept that. But if all of a sudden it's being switched over to CBDC and they say cash is now worthless, now I've got to pay her in CBDC but maybe it's programmed that I'm not allowed to buy that from her. So I need to be able to have, I don't know, like the bread I just made this morning, or I need to be able to have a bottle of whiskey to trade uh, for those tomatoes. I mean, this is what I'm trying to prepare for. And so to understand all this technology behind it, I mean, we talk about the technocracy, we talk about transhumanism. This is it alive and well. It may sound a bit boring, but it's not, folks. I mean, we don't want to just talk about technocracy and transhumanism just in theory. We need to get down inside of it and understand what the technologists, what the scientists, what the engineers are actually doing. That's what makes this all very real. This isn't just a bunch of white papers and a bunch of theories and a bunch of professorial idiots talking in a classroom. No, this is the real deal. There's got to be trillions of dollars going into the development, into the research, into the infrastructure on this stuff. I mean, there has to be trillions of dollars. Just like Wide Awake Jim started to show the hundreds of billions of dollars being spent on the future production, the drilling, the exporting, the importing of oil and gas, which proves that oil and gas are not going anywhere. When we're looking at these projects, there's got to be, I'm talking hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, going into building the infrastructure and putting all the pieces together and forming the alliances between the current players under the current financial system and the future CBDC system run by the central bank. I mean, these documents take dozens upon dozens of people to develop. I mean, who knows how big these think tanks are? But it's not like this is being done in secret. It's being done right out in the open. This is all open source intelligence that we're reviewing here. These aren't secret documents that we went and stole from Fort Detrick or something. All right, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, we're going to get into the independent payment operations. I'm going to show you a little bit more on RLN, and we're going to wrap that up because tomorrow we need to get into consensus, which is a key player in all of this. And then probably after consensus, we're going to put an end to talking about the CBDC as far as documents go, and then we're going to review the panel discussions. Uh, I thought it was important to really understand the basis of this stuff before we listen to the panel discussions, because then you're going to see the big players, the CEOs, the central bank talking openly about what's going on and we're going to be able to pick up some really good intelligence from them and having this basic understanding of what everything they're talking about is without having to stop every two minutes and explain that ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back i'll stop right now and when i get back i'll explain where i went this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's take a look here. I just want to go over this real quick. This is the R3, R is in Robert, numerical3.com piece that we were looking at. And this is uh, Section 3, Independent Payment Operations. So this will give you a little bit of an understanding of how this works behind the scenes. It says, token issuance is the first step towards payment operations. In this section, we look at how payments would work in the RLN framework. In the current sandbox for digital currencies, payments are accomplished in a single uh, atomic transaction. This uses a cross-network implementation to ensure sub-network partition sovereignty. In contrast, RLN purposes uh, three steps for payments. These are one, burning. Tokens are burned in the sending partition. This represents extinguishing a liability of the sending party. Number two is minting. Tokens are created in the receiving partition. This represents creating a liability of the receiving party. And three, settlement. Central bank tokens are the only form of settlement. The sending party settles with the receiving party through a token transfer in the central bank partition. Now, burning, minting, and settlement. This is all done in uh, cryptocurrency. So again, this is just my personal opinion. Anyone who believes that cryptocurrencies were developed for the purpose of breaking the central banks and breaking the governments, you got to be nuts, folks. This stuff was all designed by someone, and it wasn't a couple of nerds, and it wasn't some Japanese guy fairy tale who developed this, and then the central banks, you know, deconstructed it all, reverse engineered it, and they're going to turn it into their own system. This was all done and all test piloted and all beta tested through everything that's been out there the last 10 years. I mean, look at Vitalak Buterin in 2013 coming up supposedly with the idea of Ethereum. Peter Thiel funds him in 2014 to work on it, and they launch it in 2015. And look how extensive it is. And so why would anyone believe that the same technologists, the same technocrats, people like the, uh, was it the Winklevoss twins of Facebook, that these technocrats in any way, shape, or form, we're developing a monetary system for the purpose of breaking the central banks and governments when these people are funded by the governments. They are funded by the governments. These people are extensions of the state. Peter Thiel is a government oligarch. No question about it. He's a government oligarch. Folks, he developed the software Palantir. I mean, he didn't sit there and code it. He launched Palantir. It was a software created under the guise that it was going to track down terrorists after 9-11 by their financial transactions. It was funded by CIA via their venture firm in QTEL. Now, Palantir, since 2018, under a contract under the Trump administration for almost $100 million, sits inside of the IRS 
And they have the ability, this is a AI-driven software that does all kinds of tracking and data analysis for the government. They can track you by your banking records, your social media, your phone records, and other data to track you down and harass you for the IRS. Okay, Peter Thiel, that's him. He funded this guy, Vitalak Buterin, to develop Ethereum. And now Ethereum is the base system, as we see, for one of the tests of the Bank for International Settlements on building out a CBDC test, all right, for the central bankers. That's Peter Thiel, folks. That's Peter Thiel. So why do people want to believe that this is a system that was designed to break the banks and break the governments when it was all put together by the very technocrats, the technologists, the science, uh, scientists, and the engineers that are part of the technocracy? This is not a decentralized system. It is becoming more centralized. All right, I'm going to break away from the R3 document. We're going to go to settle.io. That's S-E-T-L dot I-O. And this is an article from December 2021. This is the Regulated Liability Network, RLN, white paper on scalability and performance. And I have that white paper, which I'll show you momentarily. We're not going to go through all of it, folks. It says, in his paper, quote, the regulated Internet of Value, end quote, Tony McLaughlin proposes a single network to record tokens and balances where tokens represent a promise or the liability of a regulated entity. This network, referred to as the Regulated Liability Network, would be used to issue liabilities of commercial banks, e-money providers, as well as central banks, which would, in essence, be, excuse me, be central bank digital currency. In November 2021, a group of financial institutions demonstrated a working prototype on Settle's open source blockchain solution. Again, that's SETL. As part of the Global CBDC Challenge hosted by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the technical solution proposed by Settle was designed to scale to meet the transaction volume and throughput requirements of a practical RLN. The purpose of this white paper is to evaluate the scalability of that architecture. To make this assessment, Settle collaborated with Amazon Web Services, again, they house CIA data under government contracts, to design and conduct performance tests on a simulated network aiming to validate that the Settle-based architecture could support 1,000 banks, each submitting 1,000 transactions per second to the network. For example, a throughput of 1 million transactions per second. So you could register on here to download the white paper, of which I did. And now I've been getting hit with all types of spam from these folks, but this is Settle. This is a 40-page PDF, Settle, the Regulated Liability Network White Paper on Scalability and Performance, scaling RLN to 1 million TPS, powered by Amazon Web Services. So, folks, again, we have a table of contacts here with a lot of stuff. All right, and then we have a group of authors. I'm going to throw these names out here. I don't know. You might recognize some of them. This is Settle. This is Anthony Culligan, Nicholas Pennington, Margin Delatine, Felipe Morale. And then from Amazon Web Services, we have Erica M. Salinas, Gloria Vargas, Nilesh Dusain, Jack Liu, uh, Saqib 
Sheik, and then you have contributors, Nick Kerrigan, Tony McLaughlin. Uh, so you have Kerrigan, who's head of innovation and uh, execution for Swift. You have Tony McLaughlin from City. You have Patrick DeCourcy from Payoneer. You have Melvin Lowe, head of global transaction banking at OCBC Bank. And you have Kwan Hoon Park, digital solutions, global transaction banking of OCBC Bank. All right, and so this is a whole entire 40-page paper on this. And let me just read you the introduction by Anthony Culligan. He's the chief engineer of Settle. It says here, distributed ledger technology can support millions of transactions per second. This core proposition has caused a high level of interest. People are used to talking about blockchains as being slow and having a high energy footprint. This paper, which we published today in collaboration with Amazon Web Services, focuses on speed. How can a DLT reach industrial speed and therefore leave behind the proof-of-concept stage where so many DLT projects have been confined? In a follow-up study, we will focus on how the Settle blockchain is an environment conscious choice with a limited carbon footprint right because we've talked about how they're going to need all these quantum computers you know digital currency takes a lot of computer power and therefore it uses a lot of energy so don't worry this is all sustainability folks these guys these guys fit right into the climate hustle well the climate hustle and cbdc all ties in together It says, when reviewing the conclusions of this paper with several collaborators, it became evident that a guide would be useful for the reader to understand the design choices we made to achieve the target speed and to explain specifically how Settle blockchain compares with and differs from other blockchains. And so here they have first the attributes that Settle blockchain shares with other blockchains. And so stating the obvious, it is a blockchain. And... It is a distributed ledger. It has a consensus process. Every transaction is settled real-time on chain. I'm not going to read all of the details in here, folks. Now it says, what makes it different? And so you have consensus, ordering, enhanced network functionality, uh, parallelization of network functions, optimizing inter-process communication, non-prescriptive approach to participation it has a small energy footprint and so it says here in summary when nick pennington settles cto chief technology officer uh, and i sat down to map this approach out we made an active decision to design from a blank slate we wanted to draw from the fantastic strides made in cloud scalability over the last 10 years and to create a business logic that took the best from our experience in blockchain and dlt most importantly we wanted to construct a technology that can solve for real problems in regulated financial services the team of technical experts at settle in collaboration with amazon web services have brought this vision to life so ladies and gentlemen again again this is a 40 page document here on this whole uh, operation and then we go over to a website this is m as in michael number 10 numerical 10 m10.io this is what is regulated liabilities network rln and why do we need one and this is a whole article that gets into city's paper the regulated internet of value and from here you can go to their white paper which is M10's Implementing a Regulated Liabilities Network, authors Martin Nelson, Richard Carr, and Che Ann. 
And this gets into, in June 2021, City released a paper entitled The Regulated Internet of Value, authored by Tony McLaughlin, head of emerging payments and business development at City's Treasury and Trade Solutions. In the City paper, the author makes a case for networks of regulated liabilities and assets. And so this is another white paper that gets into building the RLN. As you can see, folks, the technologists, the tech companies, the banks, the banking institutions, and central banks are moving forward with this stuff at light speed. I'm not going to go through every single document because it would be uh, redundant. And frankly, it would be confusing. We wouldn't fully understand all this stuff. But now we have these references. We have this open source intelligence. So as we go forward into reviewing the panel discussions uh, by the World Economic Forum, Bank for International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, and the United Nations, we will be able to draw back to the stuff that we learned. And maybe we'll get into some of these documents as they become more important. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on consensus and what they're doing with the central banks as they are, I see it as the connective tissue between the current financial infrastructure and what the central bank is trying to build. Basically creating these RLNs and this blockchain overlay that sits on top of Ethereum. We're going to try to put the pieces of that puzzle together and then listen to the panel discussions and connect all that, folks. All right. When I get back, let me show you one more piece, I want to start to look at the parts that need to be created in order for them to bring CBDC to fruition. We'll want to know this uh, inside and out. It's a chart we're going to look at. And that way, as we start to see these projects unfold, we'll be able to start to track when this stuff is actually going to happen, when it is going to come to fruition. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I want to pull this up for you. It was a good little resource. Uh, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Payne podcast on Friday, sent this to me. And I think it is a very important resource, as is the Atlantic Council tracker on CBDCs. Not obviously designed for us. It's designed for the bad guys <laughs> to know what's uh, going on. But it's always good to look at their intelligence, right? You want to climb inside their world. You know, the World Economic Forum panel discussions are not designed for us. It's designed for the bad guys. But it allows us to have a handle on what is coming. So always look to the information the bad guys are putting out. Uh, basically, their inter-office memos published to the world. Well, this is nchain.com. N is in Nancy, chain, C-H-A-I-N.com. I have it up on the screen for the folks over at pain.tv slash gold. And this was written in October uh, 2022, uh, actually, just about a month ago, this is written by Team Enchain. It says, how long will it take to launch a CBDC? And this is really good. It's simple. 
Uh, but it really falls into line with some of the more complex stuff I've looked at. I've gone through a lot of the white papers, and it uh, this kind of breaks it all down into layman's terms. It says CBDC timeline. Launching a CBDC must follow a clear process, involve multiple stakeholders, and consider the wider social, political, economic, and structural context. The roadmap for implementing a CBDC given here will not universally uh, will not be universally applicable, but it is a helpful illustration of how implementation can work. So it says three to five years to launch a CBDC. Given that it took four years to launch the sand dollar and at least several years to launch the Enaria, we estimate that a time frame of three to five years seems appropriate for emerging economies. And it says uh, customization. It will likely take much longer for a CBDC to be introduced to markets such as the Eurozone, United States, or United Kingdom. This timeline may be reduced significantly if off-the-shelf products that need little customization, for example, digital cash, digital money, digital ID, wallet, as well as the underlying infrastructure are available. Now, that's very important. And let me repeat that, okay? It says this timeline may be reduced significantly if off-the-shelf products that need little customization as well as the underlying infrastructure are available, right? So little customization. So you're talking about digital cash, digital money, digital ID, you know, and the wallet. Well, let's say all of a sudden uh, Coinbase you know, was going to become the wallet on behalf of Uncle Sam, right? So they could uh, use that wallet, boom, then they don't have to develop that. And let's say digital cash, digital money, that kind of stuff could be built on top of, say, an Ethereum-type system. Well, it takes care of that problem. All right, digital ID. Well, we know they're moving in that direction. That would not be very difficult to create the digital ID, by the way. And so then you have the existing underlying infrastructure. Well, this is what I'm looking at that consensus is getting involved with by bringing in partners like Visa, which we reviewed, uh, you know, on this show on the Dustin Gold Standard and Mastercard, which we have not reviewed, but I found that partnership going on. So by bringing in these big partners, uh, as Visa pitches itself, they already have eighty million merchants worldwide, and then they have—I'll look it up—how many people are carrying around a Visa card? So if all of a sudden on the merchant side, you have the uh, eighty million Visa merchants already set up to accept cbdc because visa just turns on the switch on their point of sale system then boom that's done and if you have all the people carrying around a visa card they could just use that at the store to pay with their cbdc boom that's done there's very little uh, you know very few problems as far as adoption goes because people just have an extra feature they don't have to learn an entirely new system so that's why i'm focused on consensus in part which we're going to cover tomorrow and we're going to wrap up this mini series on cbdc because frankly folks it's starting to uh 
it's starting to um, become redundant because we can't go into all the different technology involved with building it. Uh, we just have to understand how it works and then figure out when it's coming. All right, it says right here, CBDC timeline. This is an important uh, little chart I found here, and this lines up with a lot of the other charts I found inside of white papers coming right out of the technocracy. Right? So it says CBDC timeline regulatory approval. Okay, number one, uh, and I have this up on the screen for the folks at um, pain.tv slash gold. It says, number one, uh, phase one, scoping and assessment. Analyze context, choose provider, identify goals and requirements, brief stakeholders, economic modeling, risk assessment, evaluate benefits and risk, scope alternative options. So we're looking at a lot of that happening here with RLN, and we're looking at happening with the R3 on Corda, and we're looking at this with Embridge, okay? This is uh, stuff they're going through, all these white papers, all the regulatory bodies, the uh, Security and Exchange Commission, you know, that we saw weigh in in one of the articles that we uh, reviewed here. All right, number two, this is phase two, design, choose CBDC structure and technology, define operating model, and establish rules, okay? So that's what we're looking at with, you know, is CBDC just going to be issued by the central bank? Are there going to be these other commercial banks, these regulated non-banks, these stable coins that can issue tokens? Will those come back and be settled out by the central banks? Again, that's designing all of the uh, structure. Number three, phase three, proof of concept. Develop a prototype to test in an internal environment. Get feedback and refine. All right, let's develop a prototype, right? The proof of concept. So that's what we were just reading about. They're talking about these white papers being turned into proof of concept projects and then taking those and then developing prototypes and then testing them. And now they're beginning to run tests like we saw with the Bank for International Settlements test. We saw with the test going on now with RLN inside of the United States. We see tests being done with various uh, pockets of countries for cross-border payments. So we're looking at all that happening right now. Number four, this is phase four, full implementation. Implement governance processes, integrate technology, migrate data, and onboard stakeholders, banks, payment providers, right? So once they have the structure in place and they have the governments uh, weighing in, you know, and if they have to do this just for show, passing the laws and regulations that allow this to happen, they need that to take place. And then you're going to integrate this technology. This is what consensus is working on, building sort of this uh, platform that lays on top of Ethereum and then is able to connect in all these stakeholders, which are the banks and the payment providers, eventually the merchants and the consumers that are going to be able to pay with this stuff. So that's going to be full implementation. They are very close. Some countries are already at this stage, but they are very close to doing this in most of the other countries. Okay. And then five, phase five is the launch, educate citizens, run campaigns and deploy CBDC. Now that part is going to be very easy. Think about it right now. 
we are already in the middle of educating the citizens, right? I mean, I'm obviously educating you. I'm not doing it for this purpose, but you're starting to see Bitcoin being sold at ATM machines. You've heard about cryptocurrencies over the years. They have people like Mark Cuban, who goes on Shark Tank. He goes on Fox News. He talks about it. You have Elon Musk talk about it. You have everybody's favorite trading card hero talk about it. So the adoption campaigns have already begun. And then all of a sudden, the education campaigns, that'll be done through all the merchant partners, right? That'll be done through the governments. It'll be done through the fake TV hosts, the propagandists, the people affiliated with GEC, the Global Engagement Center, all these government propagandists on television. Very easy. They'll be able to train the citizens in a matter of moments, especially if you're able to do this through your Apple Pay or your Google Wallet or your Visa card or your MasterCard or your Amex. Uh, or, you know, whatever debit cards you have. Uh, be very, very easy. So it says different phases. During each phase, it will be vital to both advance knowledge among key stakeholders on CBDCs while also minimizing the risk of triggering a banking crisis. All right, so they don't want to trigger the banking crisis. That's why this is being slow rolled. We've talked about that before. They don't want to run on the bank in the middle of the system. I've explained this actually when we were talking about jury nullification or we're talking about switching over from the current internet system to something like Starlink. They are in a bridge mode. They're very weak right now. This is why if this show was gigantic, if I was Rush Limbaugh, we could probably orchestrate a collapse on these guys because they're in a weak mode. They're in the bridge, you know, M bridge. They are in this bridge. That is the fourth industrial revolution, which is the bridge between the third industrial era and the fourth industrial era. So as they're trying to onboard these new systems, they are in a position where they are weak. All right. This is like a giant company, say like City. Say they were going to move their entire operation from operating system one to operating system two. They're very weak and open for attack when they are migrating from one system to another system. And that's what is happening now. And so that's why, and this is happening in banking. It's happening in a number of other sectors and industries. They're moving over how they're managing supply chains and everything else. So they are in a position of weakness. It's just the people don't understand this and there's not enough of me or Mike Moore, Maria Albanese out there or Legal Man or others to be able to spread the word that we could actually collapse their system. So it says, uh, again, um, during each phase, it will be vital to both advance knowledge among key stakeholders on CBDCs while also minimizing the risk of triggering a banking crisis. We recommend conducting simulation and market research on economic design choices affecting CBDCs, including factors such as holding limits, reimbursement, interest and non-interest bearing, and guarantee mechanisms. It will also be important to test and analyze what mix of efficiency, convenience, privacy, and other features maximizes the public interest and test-based assumptions about conditions that it can, can affect public acceptance and adoption of digital currency. So it's all about the adoption, folks. And so right here, 
I'll just give you this. It says resources required for CBDC. CBDCs require new infrastructure, entities, and regulation to be set up. And it is a fundamental change for a country's payment system. Governments need to allocate significant financial and human resources for such a program and have a robust change management plan. Although no figures on how much was spent to establish active CBDCs, such as Bahamian Sand Dollar or Nigeria's Inaria, are available, it is estimated that a single implementation could cost upwards of tens of millions of U.S. dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Hundreds of billions. This can be offset by the economic benefits and cost savings of a CBDC. Okay, so what they're talking about is the uh, offset. They're saying that it's going to be cheaper and it's going to save everyone money to do these uh, transactions right through the central bank, as we covered here briefly. So I'm telling you, folks, this is very important because they're quickly working through these phases. And again, I'll just repeat this one more time, and I won't say it again. I want to understand when this is going to be rolled out. It's already being rolled out in test phases. I want to try to figure out when they're going to take a big chunk like social security or ebt you know welfare uh, disability when they're going to take a large sector of the population and force them into cbdc because that will be the beginning of people starting to accept it it'll be a real world adoption of central bank digital currency and never forget ladies and gentlemen never forget This is all about technocracy. This is the very tenet, the very definition of the original technocracy plan. This is the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. And this is the science of social engineering because they will engineer us into this. They're always socially engineering us into more and more technology, into accepting the prison planet that we are building around ourselves. Some of you may go to work inside of City, like Mike Moore did. Some of you may go to work inside of Visa or MasterCard or work for Consensus. Some of you may be an immigration lawyer helping H-1B visas get in here to work on stuff like this, on projects like this. So we are actually helping build the prison planet around us. This is the culture of technocracy. We are in it now, folks, and I think you can see here cbdc is right around the corner we'll go into depth on this tomorrow in episode uh well hopefully i'll have maria albanese on for episode 100 but if not we're going to jump into consensus there's some really important stuff in there and then i'm going to work my way to covering the panel discussions i mentioned before and then we're going to get off of cbdc and we're going to get back into some other topics i have to wrap up mk ultra and a couple of other programs that i found that are going on so ladies and gentlemen i will see you tomorrow for episode 100 i am dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard for all of humanity ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.